the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. Thanks for joining us today on the Instructor Podcast. As always, I am your host, Terry Cook, and it's great to have you along. Really appreciate you listening. If you're enjoying these shows, I'd really appreciate if you could take a moment to subscribe, share it, and even leave us a nice little five-star review. Because on today's show, we've got the second of our weekend double bill, and we've got Lou Walsh. So Lou Walsh has joined us, and we're basically covering a lot about the industry, talking about the industry as a whole, what Lou's thoughts are around the standard check, around coaching, around instructors, and do we think too much of ourselves sometimes, all that sort of stuff on a whole host, and that's coming up in a moment. Before I move on to that, I just want to remind you to go and check out our Facebook group. You can find that by searching for the Instructor Podcast on Facebook, or you can even go and go to the show notes and click on the links over there. As well as a Facebook group, I want to remind you of two other things. First of all, on the 5th of October, so if you listen to this before then, GoRoady are doing their webinar, and I am part of that. They're doing a two-hour webinar. There'll be a link in the show notes to go and sign up. And on the 10th of October is the Instructor Expo. Now, I know there's a bit of a fuel problem at the minute. I'm hoping I can see some of you there. Be sure to come and say hello. And uh, I'll be doing some little mini recordings as well. So come and say hello and get yourself on a special bonus podcast. But that's enough for me. What we'll do now is uh, we'll make a start with the show. Let's go and see what Lou Walsh has to say. So welcome to the Instructor Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Terry Cook, and I'm joined by the marvellous Lou Walsh. How are you this evening, Lou? Oh, I'm not sure about marvellous, but uh, thank you. Yes, I'm I'm very well. well. I consider anyone that's happy to spend a little bit of time with me a marvellous human being. So I'm glad you will. Uh, I do appreciate you joining us. So uh, I'm just going to ask to start off just by uh, telling us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about, let's start that again, a little bit about what you do. Okay, um, so I've been a driving instructor now for um, about 13 years, although I feel like I've been saying that for a while, so I might need to count again. Um, but uh, before I was a driving instructor, I was a midwife, um, and I did what many of you guys did, which is probably Googled trained to be a driving instructor and came up with the first people on the list and um, paid a considerable amount of money to those people and got three quarters of the way through my training and thought, mm, I'm not getting this. I don't know whether it's me um it's not making sense I feel like I need more and um it was while I was in a training session um I just happened to be buddied up with another PDI and uh, this other PDI said to me have you found this website this website is run by a man who has made part threes his um his forte it's uh, his absolute niche and speciality go and watch these videos uh, run by this man and uh, he'll tell you exactly what you need to do to pass your part three now of course 13 years ago the part three was very different to what we have now and it consisted of preset tests um and uh, those of you that have been around uh, a while will will be familiar with uh, with what that entails um and it was a particular skill that was needed to pass your preset tests so I logged on and I watched these videos and I probably watched 16 hours a day every day for about 10 weeks, the way some of you guys get obsessed with uh, training videos. And then I passed my part three. So I passed my part three in a first attempt, which is 
pretty rare, particularly from a PST point of view, it's pretty rare. And I have to say, Terry, that I put the lid of the laptop down and thought I have never have to listen to that bloody man ever again. Um, and then I married him and I'm, <laughs> and I'm married to Blaine. And of course, if he was here, he'd say, and I kept to that promise because I don't listen to him. But um, I, um, I met and then married uh, Blaine, um, having uh, watched obviously hour after hour of his um, videos. And of course, at that, that point, so 13-ish years ago, um, the industry was going through lots of changes. It was uh, the words coaching and client-centered learning were being banded around. Lots of headless chicken stuff, uh, lots of confusion. And um, I have to say that we both listened to that um, that kind of new wave, if you like, and thought, what a load of rubbish. You know, this is, I don't get this. Why is this being bought in? However, if we are going to continue to run a training website that is going to support people in their qualifying process and, of course, staying qualified, we need to move with the times. We need to be giving the information that is correct for, for what the industry needs. So we'll go and get ourselves qualified in this new coaching and client-centered learning stuff. And then at least we're qualified to tell you all it's a load of rubbish. That's what that was the mentality behind that. And so very, very early in my career, and I'm talking, you know, my green badge was still wet in the window. It was, it was that early in my career. I did a postgraduate award in coaching for driver education. This was done at the University of East London. Um, it was run three times this course. And I guess it was a little bit like the mothership, if you like. So it was the course that was set up um, to then allow people to um, develop their knowledge and their skills to then be able to disseminate the information. There was about 30 of us, I think, who probably did that course. Uh, some of the names that you guys will be familiar with in the industry. So the likes of Graham Hooper and Sue McCormick, uh, John Farnham, Jed and Claire Wil Wilmot, um, and, uh, and various other people. And you can see that that course uh, probably did what it was in, in inspired to do because it then generated um, various other things. So I'm touring the country with my workshops. Uh, Jed and Claire have their fab book that uh, so many of you have, uh, who's in the driver's seat. And of course, uh, Graham and Sue um, running the tri-coaching and everything that uh, that they do with uh, with their courses and uh, resources. So it did what it needed to do. It uh, It gave those of us, I guess, a little bit of a taste for what was needed to then be able to continue with our own development and uh, and go from there. And I guess that was the start of my journey. So although I went into this thinking, what a load of rubbish, I did have one of my first of many, many light bulb moments while I was doing the course. And I continue on a daily basis to have those light bulb moments. And from that moment onwards, I guess I then um, made it my baby, if you like. I developed my knowledge and understanding. I obviously developed my ability and got lots of experience in what I took and then made into my own um, and uh, bought into my teaching and uh, then, of course, bought into my training. So fairly early on, I fell into training driving instructors and the new part three, oh my gosh, we say the new part three, it's now a few years old, of course, uh, and the new standards check, which of course is even older than that, is uh, is my baby, if you like. I get the 17 competencies, I understand them, I can relate to them, and I guess more importantly, I find them, find that I can train them. So uh, that's that's where I'm at, really. Awesome. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I want to 
I want to pick the bones <laughs> out there. But what I will say, actually, is one of the great things when I get instructors on the such a trainer such as yourselves is you can feel there's like a, almost like a passion for the industry and a passion for what you do when I give you that, that opportunity mm. to speak there. And it's always mm. nice to hear. I think the first thing I want to ask, because I appreciate your honesty there, talking about how when the that, that change from the old PSTs to, to the, the, the new way um, occurred, it was, I appreciate your honesty in saying that you, didn't necessarily agree with that. You didn't like mm-hmm. that idea. You thought mm-hmm. was what? What's your opinion now? Do you think that that change has been for the better? Or um, okay, if I'm going to be honest, um, Terry, I would say that um, the C word, the coaching word, um, is uh, is one that I don't think has done our industry any favors whatsoever. And the reason I say that is because I think when we think about coaching. Uh, there are so many mixed messages that that brings and people have a complete individual idea about what that is. So, for example, um, up until a few years ago, I would stand on a Sunday morning in the pouring rain next to a football pitch watching my eight-year-old being bullied by a man who had coach written on the back of his sweatshirt. Um, my son is uh, now a diver, as in a Tom Daly diver, so he does crazy things off 10-metre boards. Um and I, seven times a week, watch him being instructed by a man who has coach written on the back of his T-shirt. So I think that we have all come with a different perception—can't speak—a perception of what that word is uh, and what it truly means. And in lots of ways, it has done us no favors because of it. So I'm not a purist. Not a purist in any way, shape, or form, and not a disciple to it. I get it. I understand it. I probably coach more than I give myself credit for, but I don't believe that that's what we generally are doing um, in terms of uh, an industry. Uh, partly because we are in a safety critical moving environment. We're not on a tennis court, you know, um, uh, or a football pitch, and there is a time and a place to be asking somebody what they think or what they feel and as you're heading towards a zebra crossing with seven people on it that is not the time um so um uh, absolutely i get it and as i say i i i absolutely know that i coach uh, a lot more than perhaps i'm giving myself credit for but i also know that probably the majority of the industry think they are coaching and they're not um, does it matter not particularly um, as long as what they are doing has the right motives. I like that perspective. I think one of the, I'm still, you know, we were speaking before we started and, and I'm still sort of quite wet behind the ears myself in this, you know, about five years and the last 18 months has been over the whole COVID stuff. So I'm still quite new for this. But for me, I, I think, and I don't think I'm being melodramatic saying this, I think our industry is quite fractured at the minute. Do you think that, I mean, I suppose, A, would you agree with that? Um, and B, do you think that sort of the idea of bringing coaching in played a part of that? Um, I think various things have probably happened, Terry, over the last 10 or 15 years. Um, in terms of is it a fractured industry, um, I think the things that have changed perhaps in the last 10 or 15 years is that we are all perhaps slightly more closer knit industry because we all have slightly more idea about what we're all doing now um, because of social media and and uh, how the world has 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 become in general. We all have um, a little bit, we're all in each other's sitting rooms a little bit more, aren't we? We, we? we have that knowledge and understanding of what other people are doing. And 
and 15 or 20 years ago, to a certain extent, you got in your car and you went to work and you might wave at a few driving instructors, you might talk to them occasionally at a test centre and then you'd go home. Um, And so um, it, it is different. Now, don't get me wrong, you could still certainly be an isolated on your own driving instructor. But I think that on the whole, people have uh, a little bit more of a core, even if it's locally, even if it's locals and local associations and people talking to each other. So are we more fractured? Perhaps by the very nature of the fact that we are more in each other's pockets, it means that we are more able to share opinions um, and thoughts. And uh, therefore, the more opinions that we share, the more likely we are to come across people who don't share the same ones as us. And I've always said, um, you know, stick a hundred driving structures in a room um, and uh, and ask them where to place an L plate. They'll have a hundred different answers um, and, um, and, and they'll all argue with each other about which one is right. You know, God forbid we actually start talking about something serious. You know, no, it's, uh, it's where, where you put an L plate. That's that's really important stuff. So it's uh, we are generally a uh, an industry that um, I'm going to say it um, has delusions of grandeur as well. But there you go. I've said it. I like that. But I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, just to expand on that a little bit. In what way do you think we've got that? You have to excuse my pronunciation. In what way do you think we've got delusions of grandeur? Uh, we're not necessary. Okay. We are not necessary. Um, and your green badge in your window does not permit you to teach. It is not a license to teach. It's a license to charge. That's very different. Okay. Because other than your restrictions, so the law, um, anybody can go out and do what we're doing. The only thing they can't do is charge. So that's what your green badge gives you the permission to do. And we do not have the evidence that we are worth our while. There is not, and it doesn't mean that we're not, but I'm just saying that we do not have statistical evidence that proves that we are making people safer. In fact, we could be really cynical and we could look at driving tests and we could look at our young people who pass their driving tests of who the majority are being trained by driving instructors. And actually what happens in that moment that they are given a pass certificate, they go from being the safest people on the road to being the people who are at the most risk. So actually, what what does that say about the training that is being provided? Is it fit for purpose? Is the driving test fit for purpose? If actually we are putting people on the road who then become the most risk. Um, And we don't have that statistic. We cannot justify ourselves. Um, I would love to have a randomized control trial of which you had 10,000 people who learnt to drive in their own way, perhaps with their parents, perhaps, um, uh, you know, just pottering around or maybe watching some videos, et cetera, et cetera, and a trial group that had 40 hours with a, a driving instructor and looked at the statistics and not just pass rates, not just how many faults somebody comes away with, but how many people have crashed in that first year um, and God forbid, how many have been killed or been in in accidents that, uh, or crashes, should I say, that have involved um, serious injuries. It would just be fascinating. Now, don't get me wrong, because I do sound like I am kind of poo-pooing the industry a little bit, but I hope that that gives you a little bit of understanding about where I'm at with that whole 
um, justifying ourselves. And when I look at driving instructors who, particularly in these last 48 hours, are banging the drum about the fact that they need fuel to go to work and how important their job is, I defy anybody to not find people in the queue this evening who will not tell you that their job is important and they need fuel. Um, where we're all at in that whole um, uh, animal farm, uh, who is greater than who kind of a pecking order, if you like, is, um, is I guess, a, a personal opinion. But, um, but there we go. There we go. I have to admit, that's not a, a route I was expecting us to take during this conversation, <laughs> but it's one I largely agree with. Um, I think that, I think, like you say, the, there's no necessity there. Maybe that's a bit extreme. You know, we've all, I'm sure, had students where they would have struggled to learn to drive about an instructor. You know, they've not, maybe not got access to private practice, but I think the, you look at, again, over the past year, Look at the amount of people that have learned to drive with their parents and that have, uh, you know, taken tests in private cars. Now, whether, you know, we agree with that or not is almost irrelevant. They've, they've still done it. So, like you said, it's almost minimising our need. And I think there's been a lot of talk, maybe not talk, maybe um, the odd voice shouting here and there that we should go on strike to oppose the uh, the, the new standard check philosophy and, and that side of it. To me, I think if we went on strike, it would show even more that we're not needed. Yeah, <laughs> it, it would be yesterday's news, uh, not you know, uh, pretty quickly. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting theory, and and I think that you know, don't, again, don't get me wrong. I've I've felt that from the moment I kind of have stepped into the industry. Um, I does that mean that I do not that I go out there and don't try my best? Of course not. Does it mean that I don't hope that the little part of the world that I'm involved in is changed for the better because of me. Of course not. Uh, you know, I absolutely will give a hundred percent to what I'm doing with absolutely the best intentions and, and motives. Um, whether I make a difference or not um, can't necessarily be quantified or justified. Um, I am going to put you on the spot slightly. Um um, feel free not to answer because it is hypothetical, but you mentioned before about sort of a controlled experiment almost between those that have been trained by instructors and those that haven't. How do you think the outcome of that would be like? What do you reckon it would be like? Not statistically significant. No, they would not, yeah. Or if anything, it would disprove our need. And that's the scary thing. And in fact, as an instructor, um, I won't be banging the drum for that to happen <laughs> because I do believe that there is, of course, a distinct possibility that we would uh, we would not have evidence of the need for us to exist. Um, I want to touch back on, in fact, I want to touch back on something else you said, um, and I think I know the reason why you phrase it this way, but I'd be interested uh, for anyone else listening. You spoke about accidents, and then you corrected yourself straight away and said crashes. Mm. Why the uh, the difference between those two? Um, I think that there's possibly that little bit of a hint that when we say accident, we are suggesting there is no fault or blame. Um, when we say crash, um, we're not necessarily thinking that we don't necessarily give that impression and that actually 
when we talk about a crash, we are perhaps implying that there were some factors that led to it. An accident is almost factorless. An accident is almost these things happen. Accidents happen. Uh, crashes tend to tend to have factors. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a sort of personal responsibility. Well, uh, while the, the crash may not have been your fault, you could still have prevented it. And I think that not just as instructors, but I think as a nation, we're sometimes a little bit slack at, at taking personal responsibility. And this wasn't an intended segue, but it works. I'm going to go with it. Uh, speaking <laughs> of personal responsibility, uh, we I'd be interested to get your thoughts, if you're uh, willing, about the, about the change to the standard check and about how it's almost in some ways the DVSA are asking us to take more personal responsibility for the, the people we send to test and, and the standard checks and being um, actioned accordingly, shall we say. Uh, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on that. Mm, again, I'm going to be a little bit honest here. It's obviously something that's been going on for a, a few weeks and various things have happened in my life over the last few weeks that have used up uh, my free brain cells. So I've been really aware that I've probably put it to one side a little bit. I've not prioritised it for various reasons. I guess the biggest reason I haven't prioritised it in terms of my thoughts is that I just know that I have not had the time or the brain cells to give it the uh, thoughts that it deserves before I come up with um, an opinion that I'm prepared to stand by. However, um, I will, um, and I'm and I'm going to because I think it's very important. But when I kind of just talk off the cuff, if you like, and or think off the cuff, more importantly, when I um, just voice the things that uh, initially stand out to me, I have some major concerns. And my major concerns uh, probably revolve around the fact that the implications of bringing in some kind of, um, what are they calling them? Triggers? Uh, they yeah. don't want us to call them triggers, do they? They want us to call them... Um, indicators. Yeah, yeah indicators. Um can be seen as some kind of punishment uh, or threat. Um, my concern is that it's been brought in for motives that then are not are not going to be bettered by it. So what I mean by this is that that if you're going to be called in for a standards check because you have triggered, the need for a standards check, um, you are going to be tested against 17 competencies that do not relate in any way, shape or form to getting a pupil passed a driving test. And in fact, if you look at the 17 competencies, not once is teaching somebody to drive mentioned. Not a single one of those competencies is about teaching somebody to drive. Those competencies are about teaching full stop. You could take those competencies and you could stand next to a football pitch and watch your child being coached. You could take those competencies and stand next to a diving board and watch your child being instructed. You could take those competencies into your local primary school and watch the teacher perform or not perform to the 17 competencies. It's not to do with teaching somebody to drive. Yet we can trigger 
um, within the learning to drive process or the, 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 the being tested process, the need to be standards checked. And the two don't add up. They're, they're not there. And I would suggest that if you went into a standards check and taught somebody how to pass a driving test in five or less faults, you're going to fail a standards check. That's, that's the bottom line. You're not going to, to, to pass a standards check or you're certainly going to get some comments back. So the, the question therefore is, is the standards check fit for its purpose? Now, the second reason why I would suggest that that is a question that needs to be asked is that my understanding is that when you look at statistics in terms of who is triggering the standards check, so who, who is considered to be bringing below par pupils up to tests, the DVSA will tell you that statistically that's more likely to happen with a driving instructor who's a grade A. Okay, so the grade A's are more likely to be bringing up pupils who they consider to be substandard. So therefore, yet again, what, what is the motive of the, of the standards check? And when the standards check was brought in, what are we, eight, nine, nine years ago now, the whole purpose of the standards check was to raise the standards of teaching. Now, if they're saying nine years later that that hasn't happened, that they're now having to bring something else in, what is the point of the standards checks? We're right back to that, that kind of vicious circle of asking that, um, that really basic question. And so my concern is, is that if you're going to trigger a standards check, yet, the, yet you're going to go and get an A on the standards check, yet therefore you then are statistically more likely to be bringing up people who are substandard on an L test. It, I just, it, the, the scales are not um, weighing up. It, there, there seems to be some um, imbalance in this in this rationale. I don't understand it. Um, and having spoken to um, a few members of the DVSA, who I have to say, fairly interestingly, have asked my opinion, which is very nice. It's, it's very it's great to to be asked an opinion. Um, I have to say, I don't think they've expected my answer. I think that they thought I was going to stand there and say, yes, isn't it great that we are going to be raising the standard of the industry? And I haven't. I've socked them with some, some hard truths. And actually, when I have said things like, so what is the point? I can honestly tell you they've stood there and gone, mm, I hear what you're saying, Louise. And it's almost as if somebody at the root of all of this has not asked those questions. Somebody has come up with a solution <laughs> that isn't a solution. That and 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 it's almost been allowed to happen because the caveat that goes with it is, well, what else is there? What else can we do? There isn't, you know, if somebody could come up with a bright idea, we'll do that. But in the meantime, we'll come up with something bizarrely strange that has uh, that is going to be of little consequence um, and we'll pretend that that's a solution. So um, I'm afraid I don't quite get it. And I'm yet to hear a rationale that makes me change my mind. It, what I find fascinating is I've spoken to a lot of instructors about this just via the medium of this podcast. And you mentioned before about you, you put 100 instructors in a room and you'll get 100 different answers. And I have, and each time I'm getting a different perspective and it's fascinating. And I think every time I speak to someone like yourself, my opinion just shifts slightly 
um, one way or the other. I think that it's just it's a, a really interesting take. And one thing I'm going to mention for anyone listening is um, this podcast goes out on audio format, not visual. But your expression when you mentioned the word triggers and indicators was an absolute picture. <laughs> you know, I am known Terry for my facial expressions. Um, so uh, yes, I'm uh, yeah, I'm a bit of a bit of an actor. So yeah, there was a moment that I thought, oh god, what have I said? <laughs> but. Um, I think I would like to ask one more question around almost the um, almost a negative side of the industry, if you like, because I know you're. Uh, I believe you're a big advocate of uh, CPD and uh, developing yourself. But the the more I sort of delve into the online world of Facebook, the more resistance I see to it from instructors. Um, it, it, there does seem like there's a, a big split there. Some that embrace it, and some that. That, that resist it dramatically and the idea of, of paying for further training or paying for development or paying for help your standards checks just seems to appall them. Um, I just wondered if you had a, a take on that and, and why people are so resistant. I think that there needs to be a little bit of a realisation that out there, there is somewhere in the region, what are we now, 38,000 driving instructors or whatever whatever we are, some, something like that. So if you say there's 38-ish thousand driving instructors that are out there, Honestly, Terry, there's only probably three or 4,000 that are engaged in one way or another. So there's a lot of randomly um, wild, alone, independent um, driving structures who get in their car in the morning, teach a lesson, come home and, and forget about it. They're not on Facebook. They're not engaged. They're not in local groups. Um, and they're out there doing a job and, and bringing in a wage. And that's, uh, some of them are enjoying it. Some of them aren't enjoying it. Some of them care passionately. Some of them don't. Um, it's as simple as that. So we need to be very aware that when we are talking about the majority of driving instructors um, who are engaged in the industry, you only have to look at those that are perhaps members of um, associations um, and know that that's a damn sight less than 38,000. So when you start thinking about that, I think it's important that we kind of put that into a little bit of perspective as well. However, and maybe I'm going to make some sweeping statements again here, the average driving structure, when I say average, I'm meaning the fact that, you know, 30,000 of them are out there not engaging care about two things. One, getting a badge. Two, keeping a badge. That's it. And how they go about doing that is, 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 is individual. So just pausing the show for a moment to say a big thank you for listening and supporting the show. It's great. Everyone that's left a review, everyone that's left me some nice feedback or or any feedback to be fair, I like receiving constructive feedback. It doesn't always have to be nice. And the lovely message I get from everyone, just a, a real big thank you. I also want to give a shout out and send you in the way of patreon.com forward slash the instructor. That's where you can get even more instructor goodness. That's something that a few people have done already, including Kev Brock. Kev Brock signed up when I first started, and he's been in there listening to shows over there uh, and enjoying it as well, which is great. So, yeah, head over to the show notes. You can find a link there, patreon.com forward slash the instructor, where you can get even more instructor goodness. But once again, thank you for listening, and thank you for all the awesome feedback. Even if it's not always nice, really appreciate it and make sure you keep it coming. But for now, let's get back to the show. Um, 
in terms of enjoyment, in terms of quality of lessons, in terms of, of uh, pupil enjoyment, in terms of, of business and running a business, you know, in terms of all the other things that we could tag on to what being a drive instructor is about, um, on the whole, most drive instructors are not engaged. Now, again, maybe I'm making sweeping statements about that, but if I put a workshop out there entitled um, Make the Most of Your Lessons or uh, Get the Most Enjoyment Out of Your Lessons or How to Provide Lessons That Your Pupils Go Away and Rant and Rave About, nobody, well, very few people would book onto them, okay? It wouldn't. It would not sell out. Okay, put out a part three or a standards check workshop. I'm sold out in an hour and a half. Now there are clever ways of then making that work for yourself. So anyone who has come to one of my standards check or part three workshops um, will know that the day tends to be divided into two halves. The first half is about 17 competencies and about the standards check and the part three, and the second half tends to be about tools and techniques that one needs in our everyday lessons. Probably the feedback I get most is on the afternoon session, not the morning session. But if I sold it as a tools and techniques in your everyday lessons, people wouldn't come. So what you have to do is you have to sell people what they want and then give people what they need. And that's two very, very different things. And so I very, very subtly give people what they need, having sold them what they want. Does that make sense? It, it does, but I think it also says a lot about me because when you describe one of those courses as being called How to Enjoy Your Driving Lessons, I got excited by that. I'm like, that's what I want. That sounds more fun than very, the standard check. Very few of you will. Very, yeah, absolutely, a few of you will. And, do you know, I would hope that probably in the last three or four years we have a slight turning tide. Yep, I would, I would suggest that. We have more engagement, partly because of the things that I was talking about before in terms of we're all in each other's back pockets and, and engaging. And so that as that tide turns, it, we get swept along or other people get swept along. But you are the minority. And I think that that does need to, to, to be acknowledged. Doesn't mean it's not a good thing. Doesn't mean you shouldn't be going to a workshop that's titled, you know, enjoy your driving lessons, et cetera, et cetera. But I will find clever ways of doing a workshop that involves how to enjoy or do driving lessons, but that it won't have been sold as that. We've spoke about some, I mean, I could say negative things. I'm not sure if negative is the right word, but not the most upbeat things so far. So I do want to kind of finish on some of the more pleasant notes. Uh, and you mentioned... <laughs> you always hang up your car keys and think, start applying for jobs in Tesco. Absolutely. I do apologise, ruining your Sunday evenings. <laughs> um, no, um, we, we did mention enjoyment a few times there. What, what do you enjoy about the job? So whether it's the teaching learners, PDIs, the, the business side of it, what do you enjoy most about the job? Um, so, yeah, the majority of my work is PDI and ADI training. Um, I still teach pupils. Uh, in fact, I've just recently just got back from a lesson with a pupil. Uh, and for me, that's really important. I will always teach pupils, um, despite the majority of my work being training. And the reason why I'll teach pupils is because if I'm going to sit in a car or stand in front of a workshop and tell everybody what they should be doing, it's probably appropriate that I'm doing it myself. So I know what is going on. And, and the second reason I teach pupils is that that's where I get my stories. 
That's where I get my experiences. That's where I get my my light bulb moments because I just find them fascinating. They're just the most incredible creatures. I just love our pupils. I love their brains. Absolutely love their brains. And that inspires me and that motivates me. And that um, uh, that is where I get my job satisfaction. And that is what I can then, I guess, pass on within my training. Um, I would absolutely put my hands up and say I'm a better trainer than I am a drive instructor. Without a shadow of a doubt, I'm a better trainer than I'm a drive instructor. However, the better I get at training, the more I see that improves my lessons with a, yeah, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. So I, uh, what I love the most is I, um, I really, I enjoy the people. I enjoy the characters. I enjoy being able to inspire. I enjoy the fact that, and again, without kind of blowing my own trumpet or sounding big headed, I really hope that I speak in a way that people can understand. Um, and that if that is a skill that I have got, then I'll use it. Um, and so if I have a way of engaging somebody that helps them figure it out, um, get it, um, understand, learn something, then um, I can tick my little box for the day. Well, you definitely do some because I apologize to all my other guests when I say this, but you're, you're my most requested guest. <laughs> so you definitely you definitely click with some people out there. I would be interested, though, because you said you've been doing this about 14 years. Is that right? Yeah, maybe just under something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, again, I've not been doing it well, about a third of that time. Um, have you seen a difference in in learners, sort of in the difference in attitude of learners? Because I I love my learners. Like you said, it's a brilliant. You get them fresh face. They come in. They're all excited. I find them really honest as well. They're always quick to tell you if you do something wrong, which is a brilliant thing. But I hear that much sort of negative talk about learners. I was wondering if, if you've seen a shift or if it's, does that question make sense? It does. But I think if you're the kind of person who sees the negative in your learners, you probably would have seen the negative in the learners 15 years ago because it, it's in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? So um, uh, uh, probably not. If I had to answer that question, Terry, I'd say that probably the biggest difference that I can see in learners in the last 13 or 14 years is mental health. And now, whether that is because it is talked about and it's now acknowledged and it is uh, not so much of um, a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, um, it's something that is, is, is hidden or um, shied away from being talked about or expressed. But uh, those of you that are perhaps new to the industry or are coming into the industry, um, you may be massively surprised how many of your 17-year-old girls are on some kind of medication for some kind of anxiety or depression. And not just the girls, not just the girls. Maybe the girls talk about it more um, with their girls or their girlfriends. Um, but our teenagers in general, I think that um, I think they're a little bit screwed up, bless them. I mean, that makes sense. And and like I say, I, I get a lot of uh enjoyment out of my learners and you said you get your enjoyment from your learners and your your pdis as well um and i learn a lot from my i learn so much from them um mm -hmm. is that the same with when because I, I don't train pdis is, is that the same when you train pdis you pick stuff up from those as well that helps you improve as a, a trainer or 
Um, oh, 100%, um, because it makes me think, and I have to think in such a way that I am um, obviously with that particular individual. So I take the individual I'm with and I am constantly thinking what is going to work with this particular person? What is it that they are needing from me? And, and so that's the thing that keeps me fresh. That's the thing that inspires me to, uh, to be doing the best that I possibly can for the PDI that I'm with. Um, I think in lots of ways, my PDIs are very different from my learners and and do learn differently. And that's interesting. Definitely um, adult learners learn differently to our adolescent learners. And although here we are in an industry that is client-centered, we talk about coaching, we do an awful lot of uh, what I call the fluffy stuff. You know, how did that feel? Which I can't personally, I can't bear that um, question, but there we go. Um, all that kind of, you know, would you do differently and you know oh, stuff like that um um uh, and although we are in lots of ways teaching our pdis that these are skills that they we need to have and be bringing out in our pupils pdis themselves when it comes to learning hate it it's really interesting and i'm doing a lot of research at the moment into how adults learn uh, various reasons i won't bore you with why i'm doing that research but uh, watch this space um and the research that i come up again and again and again is adults say please tell me please just tell me tell me what i need to do tell me what a lesson looks like show me what a driving instructor is because if you tell me and if you show me then i can copy then i can ask my questions then i can see whether it fits with my own understanding then i can see whether i think i can mold it into what and, and who i am um so to to have a pdi who is a blank canvas and doesn't know what a lesson looks like, doesn't know what they could or should be doing or how, when or why they should be doing it. Um, they are, they're empty when you ask them to do something or tell you something or show you something. Um, and, and they want that. They want more guidance than you think, interestingly. And so I'm probably very aware that my style of teaching my uh, PDIs is very different perhaps to my pupils. But I'd also suggest that maybe, and you know, there are perhaps some trainers listening to this, um, maybe that is also because the majority, certainly up until lockdown, the majority of my work, and when I say the majority of my work, I'd say 98% of my work has been what we call rescue training. And this is third and final attempts at a part three or standards check. And that third and final attempt is on Thursday, Louise. Can you help me? You know, and they're actually. Uh, there's a certain style that is needed um, when one is faced with those kind of pressures as well. I, why do you think people let it get that far? Because I'm, again, I'm, I'm speaking from personal sort of experience. I think that I would want to train anyway. I'd want to learn and develop anyway. But even coming to a standard check, I'd probably try and get a bit of extra done beforehand. If I fail the first one, I think I'm going to go all in for that second one. So why do you think people wait until the third one and then come to you like a week before saying, fix me, fix me? 
I think part threes and standards checks are slightly different, of course, um, because the part three is the PDIs acknowledge that perhaps this is a new skill for them. The standards check people could well have been doing the job for 15 years. Now, if you've been doing a job for 15 years and you've been getting the results, and now we go right full circle and we talk about the fact that we've got people who are passing and I've got a, a 76% first time pass rate and you must be doing something right yet. Okay, you're going to get called into a standards check and fail it. So there we go. We've got that full uh, full circle um, yet again. Um, if you have been doing the job and you've been getting the results, why would you not think that you could go up and do a lesson that demonstrates that you're able to do your job. So I, I get that. I do totally get that. Particularly when you have the DVSA who bang the drum for do a normal lesson, do a normal lesson, do a normal lesson. Now, I'm, I dispute that. Um, a standards check on part three is not a normal lesson. And in lots of ways, although I understand what the DVSA motive is for saying do a normal lesson, what they really mean is be your normal you. So the tools and the techniques and the tricks and the, the conversations that you do, use that. Be you. Don't be somebody else. Don't try and put on some kind of act. That's what they mean. However, the structure of a part three is very different or a standards check is very different. I don't know about you, Terry, but my lessons are not 45 minutes long. I don't know about you, but my lessons do not start and finish at a test center. I don't know about you, but I don't have an examiner sitting in the back of my car in my normal lessons. Okay. I don't know about you, but I do not pick up a pupil for every fault that they do. I live mm, 45, 50 minutes away from my local town, which is where my test centre is. If I picked up my pupils for every fault they committed, I wouldn't get out of my village, let alone ever get to a roundabout. So does that mean that my pupils are going to test and not doing blind spot checks? No, of course they are. Does it mean that I'm stopping the car when they don't do a blind spot check after 12 hours and I'm moving away from the side of the road? No, I'm not. Does it mean it's not safe? Of course it doesn't. Of course I'm doing a blind spot check. Of course I'm looking at it. Of course I'm clocking my own blind spot and I'm making sure that it, it's safe. Of course it means that I log it. And at some point, maybe in the next two hours, but certainly in the next 20, I'm going to sort it out. Would I be picking up a pupil who didn't do a blind spot check when moving off from the side of the road on a standards check? 100% yes. I think that's uh, another really well put point, but I'm going to shift gear a little bit here, uh, because I think you're a, a really good person to ask this question. So I'd love it if you could tell me a bit more about the big learner, really. <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay. Yeah, move me on. I get off my hobby horse look, Terry, because yeah, um, uh, I can canter around the room for a while. Um, okay, so the big learner relay. Now, the big learner relay was, I'm just going to look at Blaine and ask him to tell me how long it's been going on for. Tell me how, how long ago was our... This is our eighth year, is it? Okay, we, we think we've lost track, Terry, but this is our perhaps our eighth year of the Big Learner Relay. So, the Big Learner Relay for children in need. This was an idea that I came up with, I guess, nine years ago then, while watching Children in Need, which is November, for those of you that might not um, know. Uh, we were watching Children in Need, um, sitting on the sofa, watching people doing crazy things to raise money for children in need. And I said to Blaine, um, do you know, there are 40,000 driving instructors in the country. We should be doing something. We could raise money, a lot of money for children in need. Um, um, why don't we 
relay a top box, as in a drive instructor's top box, you know, with our L plate on it. Why don't we relay a top box from one driving lesson to another driving lesson around the country for children in need? And Blaine just said, oh, God, <laughs> here we go. And that was it. I was off. I said, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. What we, we, what we need is we probably need about 20 driving instructors. And if we had 20 driving instructors dotted around the country, all doing a about 300 miles each. We would drive for 300 miles, pass the top box on, and that next drive instructor would take it on, et cetera, et cetera. So it would be fine. We can work it out. So I put it on Facebook that night during Children in Need. So I just literally put a post up that said, anybody would like to be involved in, in this, you know, this relaying a top box from one driving lesson to another? I had about 650 volunteers in 24 hours. <laughs> and I thought, oh, we won't need 20 then. Um, and there was born the Big Learner Relay. So from about that January, I then started planning it. And that was then led to year one. And from that moment on, I guess just to summarise what we have done for two weeks in November, we have a, a, a children need top box that's spotty and has Big Learner Relay for children in need. It's yellow, so it's pudsy yellow. And it's got a pudsy on it. A, a pudsy bear, teddy bear, teddy bear is um, stuck on this uh, top box. And this top box literally goes like a baton in a relay uh, being passed from one driving instructor and people who will drive it to the next town and hand it over to the next driving instructor and people who drive to the next town. Uh, the legs are somewhere between 20 minutes and probably 30 minutes um, uh, over a 14-day period, so over two weeks across England, Ireland, uh, or Northern Ireland, England, Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and Jersey, 3,500 miles in this uh, relay around the country, uh, involving probably about 200 legs. So about 200 drive instructors will and pupils will pass this top box on. Um, and I sit in the back of every single one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a little mini tour of our fabulous country um, across these 3,500 miles and 200 driving lessons over the two, two weeks. Um, and driving instructors can join in. So it's not just our lead cars. It's not just the people that take the top box. Any driving instructor can follow um, behind. Uh, so we have little legs where we might have a driving instructor and people being followed by two or three other driving instructors and pupils. Uh, the most we've had, I think, was our last leg three years ago. Uh, where we relayed into Silverstone on our last leg, and Silverstone allowed us to do a lap of the of the course at Silverstone, and we had 197, I think, driving instructors in a convoy driving into Silverstone. Um, uh, that was that was about seven miles worth of spotty driving instructors. It was fantastic. So. Are you doing it this year? Okay, so last year, of course, we didn't. We ran various little um, sub-events uh, and uh, still raised um, a few thousand pounds. Uh, this year, we have thought again, and it's probably not quite right for me to go spreading the COVID around the country um, from one instructor to another. So uh, for various reasons, it's not appropriate for, to, for us to relay. However, we've got... Um, something planned which is just as harebrained um and uh, again was a little bit of an idea of mine we'll see whether it works so what we got what we have got is a 
about 60 drive instructors uh, who all know who they are. I found them all. I think I'm probably about four drive instructors uh, still need to be found. But 60 drive instructors on the 19th of November, so that's Children in Need Day, have a route in their little area um, that is very specific. So they know which roads they are going to drive. So them and their people have got a route that has been given to them and they have to absolutely stick to that route. And at the beginning of the route, they need to press start on an app. And when they get to the end of the route, they press stop on the app. And that app is then uploaded to a map and their little blue line will be drawn on a map. And between seven o'clock in the morning and seven o'clock in the evening, those drive instructors can choose when they're going to drive that route. A Pudsey will appear across the country (laughs) via a little blue line. That's um, brilliant. If you do still need an instructor, I'm putting my name forward for that now. Uh, I'll speak to you about that later. But where can people get involved in this and where can people donate potentially? Uh, the best thing to do is just to follow us on Facebook um, or, of course, to follow me on Facebook because I'll, po- I'll post everywhere. But if you look for the Big Learner Relay for Children in Need, um, you will find our website, but also you'll find it fa- on Facebook. Uh, everything will be updated on there. And, of course, certainly on the 19th of November, um, we will be posting regular links so you can see this little pudsy that is going to appear, big pudsy, I should say, that is going to appear a- across the country. Uh, you'll also find all the donation apps. You can uh, donate directly to to us or you could sponsor which would be great if you could sponsor your nearest leg so find out the drive instructor who is doing your nearest leg they would be delighted to be sponsored by you because they'll all be individually fundraising with some clever ideas as well and uh, uh, and uh, that would be a, a fantastic help and add to our total i'm just going to look at blaine again and ask him to to remind me where we're at with our total any idea where we're at with our 505,000, so just over 505,000, which is not bad for two weeks a year for the last seven years, is it? So. Do you have a goal you're able to achieve with that? No, we're, we're not going to have a goal, partly because goals have backfired on us before, mostly in a good way in terms of having a goal. Uh, so, for example, year one where we had a goal of uh, £5,000, and I was thinking, I have no idea how we're going to raise £5,000, and we raised, um, oh gosh, it was it 80, 81 or something, £1,000. <laughs> uh, so I don't have goals because every Every penny uh, makes a big uh, makes a big difference. Um, so we'll we'll see we'll see. Well, um, what I will say just to wrap up that is uh, I will put the links for that in the show notes. And I will keep those in the show notes up until the the learner relay, and you will have the support of the instructor podcast as Thank well this you, year. Terry, that's great. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask you about you mentioned previously about your standard checks uh, workshops, standard mm-hmm. check and part three workshops. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about them and uh, if and when they are back on the road. (laughs) Okay, so maybe this is completely contradictory because having spent 40 minutes telling you all how um, rubbish our industry is, um, that doesn't mean that I don't do these workshops because I genuinely have a passion for the fact that I do believe that we can make a difference um, in, uh, in what we do to the individual person that gets into our car 
Um, we don't have a goal, a, a golden bullet. We don't have a magic wand, but um, we can certainly provoke some thought. And if we could just make a little bit of a difference, then that is good enough for me. Um, but more importantly, if we're going to be out there teaching, we might as well enjoy it. And we might as well have people in our cars that are going to enjoy it. And because of that, I remain passionate about what we do. So the Standard Check and Part 3 workshop is uh, there for people, not, not scaremongering people into passing or failing part threes or standards checks. I can't make you pass a part three or standards check, but I can give you some knowledge and understanding so that you know what it's all about and, and what is needed and, uh, and what the criteria is for. Um, and of course, as I said, give you some tools and techniques that are going to help you with your everyday lessons. So that's what my part three and standards check um, and beyond workshops are about. Um, and I have um, three or four, I'm trying to think, a couple in Scotland, um, as well as a trainer trainer um, day in Scotland. Uh, then we've got Wigan and um, where else am I? Um, Cardiff and Southampton. Um, so uh, that's my little tour and that's in the end of November. Excellent. Um, is there anything else that you would like to promote or tell people where you can find you or anything like that? Um, well, come and, come and find me on Facebook. <laughs> um, even if it's just for general amusement, uh, come and find me on Facebook. Um, and um, we um, have our website. So you're very welcome to, to look at the website. We have two websites, depending on what it is that you guys are after. So we have uh, driving-instructor.site. That's our part three and um, standards check uh, CPD. That's very much focused on um, the part three and the standards check. Um, and a few other bits and pieces in there for you guys that uh, might enjoy um, questioning techniques, et cetera, et cetera. I've got a little mini course there on questioning techniques. Uh, for those of you that are liking a little bit more, so the PDIs out there or the trainers out there, go and have a look at our Go Green Driving Instructor training um, package. So you can just Google that. Go Green Driving Instructor Training. Um, and that is a whole holistic course in training yourself to be a driving instructor. So not just passing part one, part two, and part three, but it involves all that stuff that you just wish somebody had told you. And that's us. I like it. All those links will be in the show notes as well. So if you're listening now, uh, make sure you check out the show notes, have a little read, and you can get direct access to all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I uh, really appreciate you coming on today, Lou. It's, uh, it's been a fascinating conversation, maybe not necessarily the direction I intended to take with it, but I, I really enjoyed it and appreciate your time. Well, you'll learn that, Terry, and the people who, who know me should have warned you that you would get not what you thought you are going to get when you talk to me. <laughs> I thoroughly appreciate your time. You're very welcome. So big thank you there to Lou Walsh. Really interesting chat, really interesting character. I'd never had any interaction with Lou previously. Uh, she's someone that was recommended or not recommended, requested a lot to come on the show by a lot of you guys. A lot of you do get in touch and, and request. Feel free to keep doing that. It's always noted. Uh, but it was great speaking to Lou. I didn't necessarily know what I expect from this episode, but it did go in a few different ways. And um, yeah, I mentioned a couple of times during the show that when I speak to different instructors, it always just twitches my opinion slightly. 
And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, you know, adapting and, and tweaking your opinion is never a bad thing. And yeah, it was just a, a really interesting conversation. Um, we, we spoke about the big learner relay. Going to be links that in the show notes. Please go check it out. Please go see if you can get involved. Please go see if you can donate or sponsor anyone. And even if you can't do any of that stuff, go and give it a share. Give it a promote. It's a really good cause. The other thing I'm going to say, and I don't think I promoted this before, but I'm going to mention it now. If you don't listen all the way to the very end of the show after the credits, start. At the end of every instructor episode, um, that's how we do the little uh, the little quickfire questions section. So once the end credits are finished, we then have the quickfire sections. And I thought that, that Lou's answers to the quickfire questions were really poignant, really liked it. Um, that's not better than anyone else's, but if you don't listen to after the credits, make sure you do today. As always, if you're enjoying these shows, go click subscribe, click follow, share it, leave us a five-star review. But above all, go and check out patreon.com forward slash instructor. Sign up for a month, see how we like it, and see how we go from there. Either way, stay safe, drive safer. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook. Talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. So you are still listening to the Instructor Podcast, and we do appreciate you hanging all the way to the end of the show. Clearly, you are of supreme intelligence. Someone else is of supreme intelligence, because clearly hung about as well. It's Lou Walsh. Thank you for hanging about for these seven ever-so-scary quick-fire questions. Lou, are you ready? Go for it. Cat or dog? A dog. Dog, good answer. What's your favourite book of all time? Oh, Lord. Uh, Favourite book of all time. I'm not a massive reader, but I'm going to say Midwives. Okay. It's not, it's not a book that you think it is, but go and, go and have a look at it. Midwives. I'm, I'm um, compiling the list of all these books, so then read after mm. the show's finished. Mm. Um, would you ever consider going vegan? Uh, I've done a vegan year. Oh, are you still doing it or is it finished? Uh, no. It's oh. finished, but that's a whole another podcast. <laughs> well, <laughs> speaking of which, you know, give it a few weeks. There's no one coming out. Um, what is your favourite film of all time? Oh, I don't know. My gosh, Terry, <laughs> these are so hard. Um, I think that if it was a film that I had to make my children watch, it would be The Green Mile. Isn't it interesting that when I ask you about standard checks and all this kind of stuff, it's fine. But when I ask you about a favourite film, that's the hard question. Well, I know, I know my stuff when it comes to my specialist subject. Um, this is this is far too hard. <laughs> what do you refer to your learner drivers as? Is it learners, students, customers, pupils? Pupils. Pupils. What's your proudest achievement in life? My proudest achievement. I don't know. Most people will probably say they're babies, won't they? Um, yes. I would probably say um, my children, but I think that I will say um, my son who died, I'm probably the most proud of achieving the last 21 years post him, I think. I think he's, of all my children, he's probably the one that's taught me the most. There you go. Okay. And uh, lastly, last question, what one goal have you got? Give me one goal you'd like to achieve going forward. 
one goal. Yeah. Is this related? Is this a work goal? Or Could be anything. This... Oh, gosh. Do you know, this is going to sound really silly. And again, I'm talking off the cuff. But um, at some point in the future, I'm going to find my grandmother and a family that might not know that we exist. There we go. Some of the best answers sometimes off the cuff answers, aren't mm, we? That's an absolute goal of mine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, brilliant. Uh, really interesting note to, to finish a show on. And again, I do appreciate you hanging about for these final few questions. You're welcome. <laughs>